I will tell you a story that I read some time ago. It was written by Tom Holland. This is something that happened to him, and he wrote it down in one of his books. But it's about that song, None of Self, and all of thee. Uh, there's a song leader at a meeting or something that he was speaking at, and he led that song, but he used it as a closing song. And you know, typically, song leaders will use a closing song. They will use just the first verse of that song. And this song leader chose to sing just the first verse of that song and ended with the thought of all of self and none of thee. And he thought that was a bit inappropriate for a closing song for that reason because it's not talking about using the Lord at all. It's talking about what I can do. And so he missed the whole point of the song. But uh, I thought that was very interesting. It's one I, I think about whenever we sing that song. It's one of those, you've almost got to sing all the verses to it to get the full meaning of it. And I'm glad that we did that today. The lesson for this morning is one that is interesting to me. Uh, believe it or not, the idea for this did not come till about 11 o'clock yesterday. Um, I had actually planned on preaching on something else. And I had a conversation with someone that I work with, and, or work, came in to where I work, and we were talking about a lesson that he was preparing for a Bible class today. And, and the lesson was basically centered on the rich young ruler. And so we got to discussing the problems with the rich young ruler, and out of that came this lesson on the sin of insincerity. When people are insincere, and what they do and how they do it, at least in matters of religion and how we serve God, it's sinful. And we'll look at that and how that applies. And if this lesson is a little less polished than normal, it's because I wrote it just yesterday. But I thought it was a good lesson for today, and so that's what we'll, we'll go with. As we talk about sincerity, we see that there were people throughout the Bible that were very sincere in what they did. And we also see people that on the other hand were very insincere about how they handled a certain situation, a question they may have asked, or how they went about doing something. And we also have to keep in mind that some people are very sincere in what they do, but that doesn't necessarily make what they do right. And so we'll notice that a little bit as well. But I want to begin our lesson for today by looking at those with sincere hearts. Those that truly did what God wanted them to do because God wanted them to do it. Because they knew what He wanted. I want us to begin in the book of Acts chapter 2. A passage that we have studied. And you'll notice that this lesson does go very well in thought with the things that we've been studying on the plan of salvation. The lesson I originally intended for today was on obedience. But we also see the importance of sincerity in what we do. And so it very well applies to matters of salvation. But in Acts chapter 2, and beginning with verse 37, and reading through verse 47, we read this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter, and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, 
and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. Now just in these initial verses of what we're reading here, we see that the people that were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, they heard this very first sermon, very first gospel sermon preached by Peter. And as they, they heard this sermon, it says that they were cut to the heart. They were touched in a way that, that only God could touch them. And because of that, they asked a question, Men and brethren, what shall we do? As we look at that question, we see that they asked in a sincere manner. They asked this question because they truly wanted to know what they needed to do to be saved. Let's notice what happens after this. And we see that they were told to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. In verse 40, we read that many other words were used as Peter testified and as he exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received His word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They gladly received the word. Why did they gladly receive the word? Because they were sincere in the question they asked. And they obeyed. And, and that was what they needed to do. They gladly received the word. And they obeyed what they were told. They were baptized that day alone. That day alone, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And just as we look at the Bible overall, whenever men are referred to, we, we often understand that women and children were not included in the number. So, more than 3,000 souls would have been saved on that day. But I want you to notice what is said after that because it's after that that we find the sincerity of these people in Jerusalem. It says in verse 42 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They were sincere. They were sincere in the question that they asked. They were sincere in their obedience 
And we read that they were sincere because they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the things that they were taught and the things that they believed. They continued with each other in assembling. They were sincere. We see their sincerity in their continuation in God's Word. Now we read of other people as well that were saved. And there's another instance that I want us to notice in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. Let's begin reading in verse 25. We see here that Paul and Silas, they had done something that was punishable by imprisonment. They cast out a demon of a slave girl and those that owned the slave girl knew that their prophet was gone. And they complained. And these men, though they had done nothing wrong, were imprisoned for what they had done or lack of what they had done. And in Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, it says of them, as they were in prison, it's very interesting to notice that, that here they are in prison. Not only are they in prison, but this happens at midnight. If I were in prison, I think I would be rather discouraged. It'd be very difficult, I, I think, if I were put in that position, maybe to praise God in the way that they were doing. But as we read in Acts 16 and verse 25, here they are at midnight in prison. Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God. And as they were praying and singing these hymns to God, it says in verse 25 that the prisoners were listening to them. Now there's a difference in hearing and listening. And I don't know that, that that's necessarily in the, the text here. I don't know if that's necessarily in translation. But I do believe that the prisoners were actually listening to the words that they were singing, that they were praying. I believe that the prisoners were encouraged by the things that Paul and Silas were doing at midnight. And so we find them at midnight singing and praying. The prisoners were listening. They were listening to them. And in verse 26 says suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. Looking at what he was faced with, this prison keeper looked out at the doors being opened, assuming that they had all fled. He was about to take his own life because he knew that the king would not stand for it. He knew that those who were over him would not allow him to live. 
So he's about to take his own life. Paul called to him. said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. We're all here. Why were they all there? You know, obviously this is something that happened by the power of God. Maybe part of it was because the prisoners had been listening to them. Maybe they were were in some way inspired. I, I don't know. But they stayed. They did not flee. By the power of God, they were still there. And in verse 29 it says, Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said in verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now there are people that take this out of context and they'll read verse 31 and put it by itself and say, well, well there you have it. All you have to do is believe and you'll be saved. But if that's the case, if belief is all that is required in salvation, then why was he baptized in the first place? What was the need for it? Why was his family baptized? What was the need for it? See, believing leads us to obedience. Believing led this man to obedience. And because he obeyed and was baptized, he and his family were saved. He sincerely asked what he must do to be saved. You see that he was sincere because he obeyed. If he wasn't sincere, he wouldn't have obeyed the gospel in the way that he did. He wouldn't have become a Christian. I believe that shows the sincerity of the Philippian jailer. Now let's turn our attention to some insincere hearts. Some of those that we read in Scripture that were insincere in the questions they asked and the way that they, they handled things, the way that they did things in the sight of God, they were very much insincere. Now as we continue in the thought of salvation, we see there's another man that asked what he needed to do to be right in the sight of God. In Matthew chapter 19, as was our scripture reading for today, Matthew 19 and verse 16, and reading through verse 22, we read of a man that we refer to often as the rich young ruler. We know that he was rich from the context here that that he was sorrowful about selling his possessions. He had great possessions, so that made him rich. We see that he was a young man. He was a ruler. And so we call him the rich young ruler. But in Matthew 19 and verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit 
eternal life. So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. Now as we look at this passage, I think that whenever Jesus told him the commandments that he needed to keep, I think that was the answer that he wanted. Because he says, all these things I've kept from my youth, I think that's exactly what he wanted to hear. You're doing what you need to do to obtain eternal life. I think the question that he was asking when he asked, what good thing may I do to eternal life? I think he was asking to be justified. I think he wanted to hear that he was doing everything already. But Jesus knew his heart. As we look at what is said here, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, if you will. To his own heart. He knew. He knew that he had great possession. And he knew that his possessions had taken hold of this man. He knew that that was his hindrance. And so he says to him in verse 21, If you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, here's what you need to do. Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor. But the young man went away sorrowful. Why? Because he didn't want to get rid of his possession. And we don't read that he ever did. Now we understand that our treasure is supposed to be in heaven. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where a thief and, and moss, where, where none of that has anything to do with anything because they're not there. Your treasure will never decay. It will never be stolen. It will never, never be taken from you. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven rather than on earth. This man had laid up treasures on earth and he didn't want to give them up. I'm not saying that he wasn't a good man. You know, as we read of the commandments that Jesus told him that he needed to keep, I've done all these things. 
I believe he was a good man. But I also believe that he was misled by what he had. He was insincere in heart. I, I don't believe that he ever asked the question insincerity of heart in the first place. But certainly we read that he went away sorrowful because of his possessions. There are others that we read of that were of insincere heart. Look at the Pharisees at John's baptism in Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3 and beginning with verse 4, we read this. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan confessing their sins. As we looked at last week, we understand John's baptism to be a baptism of repentance. In light of their repentance, they were baptized. It was not until after Jesus died that they were baptized for the full remission of sin. But here they come to Him. They were baptized, confessing their sins. And in verse 7, it says this, But when He saw many of the Pharisees, and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from wrath, the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And from there, I believe him to be turning his attention more to the people that were there than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But, but he calls them a brood of vipers. Now, as I look at those who practiced the law. I believe them again to be good, at least in some way. I believe that there was something in them that, that led them to, to do those things that they did. They knew the law. And for the most part, they practiced the letter of the law, but they missed Jesus coming. They missed the reason for it. And here they are called a brood of vipers. They were hypocrites. I don't believe that they came for sincerity of heart, for that reason. And John didn't either. They were of insincere heart. And there were other hearts that we read of that were not in tune with the will of God. Think of the scribes and the Pharisees that are referred to in Matthew chapter 15. Namely in verses 8 and 9. It says this, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. We see of the wrong of their tradition, the wrong of what they were doing. They were doing everything they needed to do, but they didn't have the right heart. Because of that, their worship was in vain. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy these things of you? Think of the Corinthian church that Paul addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In regard to their partaking of the Lord's Supper, he says this in verse 27, 1 Corinthians 11, 27, Therefore whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What they had done is they had taken the Lord's Supper, turned it into a meal, and they thought that was right. But what Paul addresses with these brethren is that they needed to examine themselves, that they needed to partake in an unworthy manner. They were doing so with an insincere heart. They needed to sincerely obey the words they had been commanded. This was said of the Israelites in Psalm 78, verses 35 through 37. Then they remembered that God was their rock, and the Most High God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they flattered Him with their mouth, and they lied to Him with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast with Him, nor were they faithful in His covenant. Over and over and over again, we see the people of Israel turning away from God, and God would show them their wrong, their error, and they would turn back to Him the reason that they kept turning back was because they were of insincere heart. Their heart was not steadfast with Him, nor were they faithful in His covenant. They flattered Him with their mouth. They lied to Him with their tongue. Have you ever thought that insincerity is lying to God? When we worship Him, and yet our heart is not sincerely here. Our heart is not sincerely in His worship. We're lying to God. We're lying to the one who knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intent. He knows if we're sincere or not. And if we worship in an insincere manner, if we do anything in an insincere manner... Manner, God knows it. How do you think God feels when we lie to Him? How do you think God feels when we do any of the things that He has said with an insincere heart? I can tell you what we learn from scriptures that God is offended. That He is not pleased with an insincere heart. First of all, we understand that God 
is truth. Insincerity is a lie. Insincerity has no part with God. It's not pleased with insincerity. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9 says this, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. He will cast you off forever. God knows our heart. He knows everything about us. He knows whether or not we are sincere in what we are doing. John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them because He knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for He knew what was in man. Jesus, being God, knew exactly what was in man. God, knowing the truth, and knowing the man that He created, is not pleased with insincere worship. He's not pleased with insincere obedience. Insincerity has no part with God. Now likewise, as I mentioned before, there are a lot of people that I believe are very sincere about what they're doing. But they don't have a full understanding of God. They, they don't study His Word in the way that they should. They do not know exactly what God wants. And so though they may be sincere in what they're doing, you still read those words. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and done many wonders in your name? And yet I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. There are people that are sincere. I believe we can also be sincerely wrong. However, sincerity plays a very important part in what we are giving to God. When you gave your life to Him in obedience, by faith, repenting of your sins, confessing that you believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, being baptized for the remission of your sins, were you sincere in doing so? Or, or did you do so because maybe a friend did it? Maybe someone else was with you that you thought you had to do it. Maybe you didn't understand the meaning of it. Maybe you realize that today. Maybe you were of an insincere heart in giving your life to Him. Maybe it is that even today, even as you 
I have not forsaken the assembly. Even as you have gathered here today to worship God, maybe your worship has been with an insincere heart. Maybe your, your mind and heart are not focused where they need to be. Maybe you realize that for some time your worship has not been a sacrifice worthy of God's favor. If you're worshiping in an unworthy manner, we read that our worship is in vain. If our heart is not where it needs to be, maybe it's because of something in your life, something that you're dealing with, something that you're struggling with, a temptation that is overcoming you rather than you overcoming it. Maybe there's something in your life that is not right with God. Maybe you need to come back. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Him. Ask for forgiveness for something you've done wrong or ask for prayers on your behalf. But if you're guilty of the sin of insincerity, and as we always do, the invitation is always open. But we offer you an opportunity now. There's something that we can do to help you. Please come. Let's together we stand and as we sing.